Welcome to the Wealth Experience podcast series where our subject matter experts provide the latest updates on what's happening in the world around us. Brought to you by BMO Private Wealth. Hello, everyone. My name is Sylvain Brisbois, and I'm a Senior Vice President and National Sales Manager with BMO Private Wealth. Uh, today, we'll be having a quick conversation with Richard Belly, Fixed Income Strategist and Portfolio Manager from our Portfolio Services Group. Richard, uh, thank you for uh, joining us today. And uh, you're going to help us understand what's happening with the bond markets, uh, the interest rates in general, central banks, and we're going to take a few minutes to speak about ETFs as well. So let's begin, and let me uh, throw out the first question. Uh, rates have come down quickly, uh, Richard, in the bond market in the last uh, few weeks for, for all kinds of reasons. Can you explain a little bit about this, please? Uh, yes, thank you, Sylvain. Yes, interest rates have come down significantly in a very, very short period and this happened in two steps. First, in the uh, in the early days of the crisis, uh, looking at the end of February, early March, as the virus is becoming uh, closer to be uh, to be called a pandemic uh, issue, it was becoming obvious the the risk to the economy and investments in general were growing. And what we saw basically uh, was that the global fixed income markets were swooning in a, a major flight to quality, uh, with investors rushing for uh, the safety of government bonds and driving yields lower. As prices were rising, uh, yields were lower. And we saw this in particular in the Treasury, U.S. Treasuries markets and the government of Canada's, which are two of the safest uh, markets in the world. This led the first round of decline for interest rates. We saw 10-year yields in the Treasury markets uh, go down as low as uh, 31, 32 basis point. And the same could be said about the Government of Canada bonds in the 10-year sector that went as low as uh, 20, uh, 22 basis point. And then what we saw was the second step or the second stage is when we had a major response from central banks uh, that not only cut rates where they could, but also introducing uh, many uh, new or in extending already available measures, monetary policy measures like asset purchases and lending facilities that provided further support to the interest rates and will likely provide uh, longer-term support uh, for interest rates. So these two steps, basically, preservation of capital, looking for safety, uh, and the monetary policy response has led interest rates to decline significantly. Okay, interesting. And so central banks around the world, uh, they coordinate themselves, they, they cut rates. Uh, presumably this is their job. Are, are they right to do so and to do so swiftly? And um, have they done this enough? Have, have they gone far enough given the magnitude of this crisis here? Yeah, a lot of information in that question, uh, and it's an interesting one. First of all, was it their job? And I would answer yes. I believe uh, they had no other choice but to respond to the, uh, on the, uh, during the initial days of this crisis. What we need to remember is, uh, and we go back to history to give ourselves some perspective, uh, in times of crisis, economies and markets will need two things to start with to help weather the storm and ultimately help with the recovery. They'll need lower interest rates. And more importantly, and 2008-2009 was a great experience of this, they will need liquidity. And I think central banks have done their job by providing both. Uh, objectively, they cut rates as much as they could, uh, considering what they have left. 
but they also provided plenty of liquidity by offering lending facilities and offering to buy securities as much as they can. In fact, some central banks like the Federal Reserve, the uh, the European Central Banks, and almost the Bank of Canada, which uh, was probably not in the same similar terms, but said that they would do whatever it takes. However, uh, they've done enough. In our opinion, they've done already a lot. What will need to be is for them to confirm that the support is going to be there longer, but they cannot do the job alone. Now we need more answers and response from government officials uh, uh, presenting and introducing uh, relief measures and ultimately stimulus measures to help the economy recover. Okay, very good. And, and so as, we, as this COVID-19 continues to evolve, we could we could see the banks take another uh, another uh, cut at this. And if they do this, could that mean negative interest rates in North America, as we've talked about some of the European countries um, got, got to? So could could that be here in, in North America? Interesting question about negative rates. And uh, and the question five years ago, if it would have been asked, uh, I would have uh, would have answered that uh, practically zero chances of seeing this in North America. Today, the odds of negative rates are increasing. To your first question as to can central banks cut rates again, we have to remember that around the world, major central banks already have their short-term rates close to at zero or even below zero, if we look as an, as an example, the Bank of Japan and the European central banks. Closer to us, when we're looking at the Bank of Canada and the Federal Reserve, they have dropped their rates to 25 basis points, and in the case of the Federal Reserve, to a range of zero and 25 basis points. This is the rate that they use in the short term for bank reserves and, and, and lending, uh, and banks afterwards are using these rates as, as, as a benchmark for other rates. But in this context, they've already lowered it to the, the lowest we had seen since the financial crisis, and they don't necessarily have a lot more wiggle room to cut rates. But in the case of the Bank of Canada, as an example, yes, they could cut lower, and they could actually cut down to minus 0.5. But to be honest, the central bankers, especially Canada and in the U.S., have confirmed that they have no appetite to, to drop rates below zero, and they would do everything else before they could even consider that possibility. So that que- second question about could we see negative rates and what does it mean? Yes, we could see negative rates. Actually, what we saw in the secondary markets, we saw U.S. Treasury bills in the shorter maturity starting negotiating and trading at negative yields, minus one to minus five, minus six basis point. Uh, this was the only time in North America we had seen uh, negative rates since December 2008 during the great financial crisis, and back then it lasted just a couple of weeks. What does it mean for investors? Um, trying to simplify the whole concept, negative interest rates on an investment means that total income that to be received from that investment over time will be lower than the overall premium or the price paid for that investment, which means a negative performance on the investment. Simplistically, it's basically saying that an investor will pay for the privilege of owning the debt of an issuer. In times of risk, it makes sense to own for government, but would it make as much sense to own a corporate bonds at a negative yield? There is a question mark. So if we use just a quick example uh, and we look at the U.S. T-bills, 
That would mean that normally the interest you earn on a, on a discount investments would be the difference between the price and the par value or $100. That means that in the context of the U.S. T-bills currently, investors are paying over 100 to receive $100 a month or two or three after when the, the, the investment matures. So it means that they're locking a loss as on the day that they purchase the security. Okay, interesting. And so I'd like to switch gears a little bit. A lot of our listeners today would have would have invested or considering uh, investing in uh, ETFs, ex- exchange traded funds. And so we've seen some pretty big reactions on on price, uh, and the spread has widened. So w- why have we observed this? Uh, these are a proxy to get a basket of bonds and fixed income instruments, uh, basically. Uh, and what about this weak performance? Recently, weak performance. What does one do in this environment? To uh, and can we recover? recent losses from from this asset class yes uh, that that has been a very very interesting uh period for uh for etfs uh what we have seen and this is what we need to remind ourselves over the last years uh there has been more and more investments made into the etf fixing from etf uh than in the actual bonds which are excellent vehicles uh for investments but we always have to remember that they, they they derive their pricing or value based on the basket of securities. As an example, looking at a, a an ETF uh, issued for corporate bonds in the one to five year term sector would mean that it, it, it all securities that would be in an index between the one year and the five year term would be included or the ETF would try to replicate that basket. So as we get valuation for that basket, it provides us for the valuation for the ETF. What we saw in the initial weeks of this crisis, we saw an issue with liquidity in the corporate bond markets as an example, and it became more difficult to price the individual securities. And in some cases, we had days where the securities were not even priced. So what happened is the ETF markets, unlike the cash markets where we can buy the individual bonds, continued to trade as equities were getting weaker, but the corporate bond markets was no longer functioning normally or trading. And this is where we saw a full disconnect between what we call a theoretical uh, net asset value calculation, which is the value of the basket, which is based on an average of indicative pricing from from financial institutions and dealers, and the actual price discovery that was done from an ETF perspective. And that gap basically widened even more for some securities as uh, baskets were considered more risky. So ultimately, some of these securities were greatly affected and honestly, uh, when these values were compared to NAV, the gaps were, were uh, relatively wide and likely the widest we had seen since the inception of the ETF market. So to the second question as can we recover these and how should we be investing? Uh, we always have to be mindful that the recovery will be based on the actual securities that will be in the basket. And instead of thinking about actually recovering the value, what we need to look at it from a fixed income perspective now is that these securities should be considered from the perspective of quality and from the perspective of interest or income that we can earn from these securities. It is expected over time that the value will be recovered. It may not be the case for 
all ETFs. It may not be the case for all securities and sectors, but ultimately we believe that these values uh, are going to be recovering, and some of the losses that may have been seen in the last months uh, should be recovered as the market calms down and spreads narrows and uh, it, uh, it started looking better for the overall corporate bond markets and the bond markets in general. Okay, fantastic. Lots of great information. Let me end with, with this question. As investors, as we navigate through these times, so what's your best advice on uh, positioning a fixed income portfolio? And, and does that mean, uh, would you recommend increasing a little bit the liquidity in the fixed income component? Objectively, uh, and I'll start with the last question, should we be increasing the liquidity in the bond portfolio? In normal time, we should expect bond portfolios to be liquid. If the objective of increasing liquidity is to take advantage of future opportunities, whether it is in the corporate bond markets or equities, objectively, in times of crisis, it's always good to look at the possibilities. But we have to remember that central banks have lowered considerably uh, the bank rates, so short-term rates are extremely low currently, and there's almost no income to be made on liquidity. So the objective of liquidity is, is an active management decision for reinvesting these funds in the near term, not a long-term investment objective. Where do we position bond portfolios today? The way I'm looking at this, objectively in times of crisis, government bonds will outperform. That is the federal or the treasury federal, the government of Canada or, or treasury, U.S. treasuries. These two sectors are normally going to be outperforming even more with the support of the central banks. Once the crisis abates, once we see uh, uh, the potential for economic recovery, normally the rest of the curve is going to start performing even better. Now we're talking about provincial bonds, municipal bonds, corporate bonds, and even sometimes the lower-weighted lower securities. In the short term, however, we feel that there's still a risk for corporate bonds uh, to be under pressure as we believe there could be a wave of credit downgrade where the ratings, the credit worthiness of a corporation is reevaluated and could be lessened. And in the second case where we could see and we believe as much as governments and central banks' intentions are great, maybe not every corporation could be saved. In that context, we believe there are still some risks of bankruptcies and increasing default rates. So what this means is this means that we have to be a bit more careful with our investments and concentrate for the moment with better quality. Again, a fully, a well-diversified portfolio that would include a bit of liquidity uh, for taking advantage of opportunities, but also government bonds, provincial committees, corporates of higher quality uh, should continue to perform well. And we believe in times of volatilities and uncertainty like we're seeing today, we believe that there will be even greater investment opportunities in the weeks to come. And objectively, your BMO advisor uh, can certainly help in reviewing your portfolio and looking at these opportunities would be in within the context of your investment objectives. Fantastic. You're beating me to the punchline a little bit, Richard. Thank you so much. You've given us some food for thought today. You've been a trusted resource for advisors for many years here, so we thank you and appreciate your time today. I would say especially when demand for your insights is probably very high. We look forward to staying connected as this situation unfolds. And I continue to urge our clients listening to stay connected with your advisor, as Richard was saying. If you're the top priority 
as we record these uh, podcasts these days. So please don't hesitate to ask your questions and share your thoughts with your advisor during times like these. The more we communicate, the better the outcome. So above all, stay well, stay safe, and take care of yourselves. Thank you, Richard, and thank you for listening. Have a great day. This podcast series has been brought to you by BMO Private Wealth. Please join us again.